So she pulled the shades down, she lit a candle, she took away all of the medical hospice equipment and she started humming and she got a little bowl of soapy water and she said, hold your mother in your arms, dear, just like she held you when you were born. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Making your mark, big or small, is creating a legacy, and it's one of the proven ways we can age with vibrance and deep contentment. Zestful Aging podcast is my legacy. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, who is a previous guest on Zestful Aging. Find out more about her and her music on judybanker.com. And to find out more about Zestful Aging podcast, my web courses and other offerings, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. Well, as usual, you know, I've got my little loyal Jack Russell Sparky right by my side. He had a very long hike yesterday, so he is curled up. Let's begin. We have a really important interview for you today. I'm so looking forward to it. Uh, You may know the funeral industry in the U.S. has come under scrutiny for its unethical practices for many years, and books like The American Way of Death have exposed widespread problems related to the profession's lobbying activity in Washington, inflated cremation costs, the telemarketing of pay-in-advanced graves, and the effects of monopolies in the death care industry now dominated by multinational corporations, to say nothing of the environmental impact of the traditional burial. Today, we're going to talk about the alternatives to traditional funerals and burials, a very relevant subject. Uh, We're going to be speaking with Olivia Bearham, and she's the founder of Sacred Crossings, a Los Angeles-based funeral home that specializes in green, environmentally sensitive products and after-death care practices. They specialize in home funerals, green burial, full-body sea burial, direct cremation, witness cremation, and celebrant services. Very different experience than the traditional funeral. And they specialize in in the home funeral that allows family and friends care for the body of their loved one at home in their own time, honoring cultural and religious traditions. And I am so excited to welcome Olivia Bearham. Welcome to the show, Olivia. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, really. I'm so fascinated in this subject for many reasons, but I'd like to start with asking you, how did you become a death midwife? And if you could, for our audience, if you could define what a death midwife is. Of course, um, I would love to. It, It all began 15 years ago when my mother was dying of ovarian cancer. So I went back home to England to take care of her. And um, her dying was profound, had made a profound impact on me, um, primarily because of how conscious and aware and calm she was about this event that was happening in her life. She, she said she was, she was good to go. 
Um, on the morning she died, she said, please don't, don't brush my hair today, I'm going home. And I, when mother said something, she meant it. So mm. my sister and I knew that we were on the last leg. And sure enough, 18 hours later, she took her last breath. And the whole evening, the whole, the night before, the days preceding to it were, were filled with this, um, anticipatory grace it wasn't anticipatory grief it was more of a sense of awe and I was inspired by the way she was leading the way she mm. she was my first teacher she was teaching me how to do it and but not saying that but I see now that's that was her gift to me and um, so in in the bigger picture and I'll go into that a little bit I, I feel as though my mother actually ended up birthing me twice, mm. once in my life. And, um, and then again, when she died, she, she birthed my, my, my own legacy, like yours is the podcast and what mine has become is Sacred Crossings because of this incredible gift she gave me on her deathbed. So um, I, I'm just bringing Mother into this conversation too in, in a deep, loving way. Um, so it wasn't, it, that wasn't the main piece for me. It was after she died, the hospice nurse invited me to help prepare her body. And, and although I'd been a hands-on healer for many years and had been often with people who were sick and dying, when it came to the last breath, we did always what everybody does. They call the funeral home and take a step back and let the professionals come in and take over. So, and so I was shocked and surprised and very grateful. So, to participate in this very sacred act that um, was now laid out before me. And so she pulled the shades down, she lit a candle, she took away all of the medical hospice equipment, and she started humming. And she got a little bowl of soapy water and she said, Hold your mother in your arms, dear, just like she held you when you were born. And I was, I had this visceral experience when I was cradling her, her body in my arms of the circle of life and the enormity of, of the, the, the profundity really of, wow, this is how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's the most natural, organic, blissful thing really to be able to hold her in the same way she held me and to say, thank you, while we were um, bathing and anointing and dressing her body. From that moment forth, I knew I was a different person. Um, Everything that had gone before was suddenly just washed away in this ritual. The healing was so profound of, of everything that we had gone through as mother and daughter, and it certainly wasn't the the loving beautiful Mm -hmm. one that most people had I see and and I got oh my gosh this is this is how it's supposed to be so we have this opportunity to heal to say thank you to 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 say goodbye and it was so moving for me anyway so we we dressed her and and we laid her on the hospice bed in this beautiful white burial trousseau gown that she had kept in her bottom drawer for years and years for this very purpose and and there she lay she looked stunning she looked absolutely mm. stunning there was nothing mm. 
it was like death come to, came to life, really. Her face so peaceful and and the rose on her chest. And it was the, it's a, it was the quintessential opposite of everything that we see on the media about death mm-hmm. in its agony and its gore and its... Um, um, all, all of that was just and not fear. what was happening. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So um, there she lay, and then neighbors stopped by, and the relatives came over, and I, I got to sit between mum laying very still on the hospice bed in the living room, and all of these people coming in to say goodbye, and it was it was just fabulous. Um, and that's when. That's when I knew that we have thrown something away in giving death to the funeral industry. And this is our innate right and our responsibility to to do this final sacred act. Um, and then I wanted to keep her at home. I said to my sister, let's keep her. Why, why, why are we going to give her to the funeral? Why does she have to be in a refrigerator somewhere? Let's keep her here at home. But my sister said... It was the middle of winter and the heat was on, you know, the central heating, and we didn't really know, kind of a little nervous because most people know nothing about death. They don't know about a dead body. That we, It's been so far removed from our... And so sterilized. Yes, we don't know how to do that. So I called the funeral home, and of course when they came in, they, they brought their rattly gurney and they squeezed her into a black plastic bag and zipped her up and wheeled her out into the snow and it was from that moment that I knew I had a job to do and it was to deeply investigate and find a way to keep this liminal space open for other people to have that experience that I had with mom and then maybe keep it open for a little while longer. Um, what a contrast you were describing her in this sort of, you know, laying down in her white gown, peaceful with a rose, sort of this ethereal kind of experience. And then comes the gurney with the the rattly sounds and zipping her up in this black vinyl bag it just could not be more different yeah so it, it it's true it, it took the beauty and the holiness out of this sacred tender incredibly intimate space mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. made it sterile and offensive almost and very nice and mm scary and then suddenly it was a little bit scary and it hadn't been up until then it had been the opposite it's like she's I, being processed it's yes. in, in some way yes and I think this is what has contributed to our death phobic culture um, it's it's because the, the, the knowingness about what death really is the still the beauty the continuation of life because even though her body was completely still it was very clear the mother, the living, breathing mother that I knew was profoundly present. <laughs> there she was now. She filled the entire room. And, mm-hmm. and most people miss having this visceral experience of that. We have to come up with conceptual um, ideas of 
what happens next because being present to that quiet still space is not is no longer ours it, it belongs what to it, and the and what do we miss olivia what do we miss when we give our loved ones over to the funeral the traditional funeral industry what what do we miss out on well the the word that comes up most of all is we we are instantly disempowered what we know innately in our bones how to do what we crave to do it's to take care of in a final act of love is taken away and we know that but we don't know how to fix it because it's become the norm and that's that's what i'm endeavoring to change but it's really difficult because the collective consciousness has silently agreed that ooh nobody wants to really handle death that's icky mm-hmm. let let them do it those guys mm-hmm. in the black suits mm-hmm. over there somewhere ooh good wash my hands of that and get on with mm-hmm. life we've in we've, we've bought into that as the best way to do it and it's only the very few who have this experience of the tender intimate space of um, preparing the dead that understand what we've given away. So um, I what your question was now, but... Um. <laughs> yeah, just what we're missing, what we lose. Um, and, I, I, you know, I, and you, you talked about the disempowerment. And now we are at the very height. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? But as we speak, L.A. is in... Uh, it's an absolute calamity. Uh, what, uh, I heard uh, something on the news that one out of five people in L.A. are COVID positive. Um, and you have a real disaster on your hands. Are you finding that people are opting for home funerals now? Where, where are you seeing yourself in terms of the current situation? Well... <clears throat> I I will get to that. Perhaps I should also just very briefly explain what a home funeral is. So for those viewers who don't know, please do. And then we can see why this is so important now. So when I, after that experience, I trained in um, everything there was to know about how to prepare a dead body. So a home funeral is one where most, most people, they die at home anyway on hospice. And instead of calling the funeral home, I go into the home and I guide and support the family in this bathing the body, preparing it, shrouding it, anointing it, doing sacred rituals. We find a place in the home to lay the body in honor, as we call it, pull a chair up close so that anyone who comes to visit can be present with the body, which looks beautiful, by the way. It doesn't decompose or deteriorate in any way. And then we take dry ice place the dry ice, um, and which we change every day. So we keep the body at a very low temperature, um, but at the same time, it enables the family to be present to it. So this is normally happening in a spare bedroom, or sometimes it is happening in the living room. It depends on the family, of course. And what I take a cremation box, because most, most people are cremated right now. Um, not always, but if they are, I take the the empty cremation box to the home with art supplies. So while the body is laying in honor somewhere, for usually between one and three days, the family are decorating the cremation box. 
Um, and there's beautiful illustrations on my website that people can go to and see how these boxes are decorated. And then um, on the third day, we'll place the body from the, t- the massage. And usually I place it on a massage table, which is draped with lovely fabrics. We'll take the body from that table and place it in the box and then have a funeral service right there in the home for whoever's present. And then we take the body to the crematory for cremation or the cemetery for burial. So the, the family are the only people who touch, prepare the body. No stranger um, is present to it. It's not never laid on a steel table and scrubbed mm. with disinfectant and sprayed mm. down mm. and, God forbid, embalmed. We, yes. we don't do anything toxic or invasive. It's all 100% natural with just washcloths and soapy water with essential oils. And, um, and so... On the third day, the body is, is, is taken away. That is the whole home funeral piece. Um, and most of our clients die at home on hospice. Uh, however, if someone does die in the hospital, as long as the doctor can um, is willing in the hospital to put causes on the death certificate, and it's not a coroner case, then we can get the body from the hospital, bring it home, and have this beautiful bathing ritual take place in the home the same as it would be if the body had died at home mm-hmm. and and in cases of sudden heart attacks and, and and things where maybe children haven't seen grandpa because he was rushed to the hospital this way they get to be present to him at home uh, in in a very private intimate way and for children it's just amazing they need this they need to have their mind quieted like what happened to grandpa look there he is he looked just the same as he did yesterday it sounds serene it is always stunningly beautiful people just think i'm weird and that's but i said you haven't seen it yet you your idea of death is it's some creepy notion that you've got or or you've seen Mm. an embalmed body in a funeral home that looks like waxwork and he didn't even look like your mom so or dad so uh they have a very, um, I won't say the word warped, but it's, it's, it is, it is a warped view of the, what, what death, what a dead body really does look like. So, um, so that's how a home funeral generally looks. And, and now in, in these times of COVID, we, as a, and I'm a, lic- a fully licensed funeral home now, so we do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were told by the LA, you know, the LA County, that we could not take more cases because every refrigerated facility is now at capacity. So the crematory that usually stores our bodies when they're waiting for cremation is now filled, mm-hmm. um, and so are any other funeral homes that have storage. They're filled, so now bodies have to go to the coroner, and the coroner is, you know, they have special storage units you know where the bodies are placed on those trays in bags tagged um, and you don't know where they are and so now I'm trying to do um, a campaign to tell families if your loved one dies at home please call us and we'll help Mm. you prepare and preserve them at home for as long as you need because there's no limit in Los Angeles for how long you can keep the body at home. We can help the family um, maintain that liminal sacred space. We can deliver the box to the house. So instead of the loved one being bagged in a 
um, shipping container in a parking lot somewhere downtown, mm. they can stay mm. at home. And mm-hmm. meanwhile, we can get the paperwork filed, the death certificate and the permit, and put them on the schedule at the crematory. So when the time comes, we can take them directly to the crematory. And is you- that... Olivia, is that true even if the patient died of COVID? Can they no. die at home? Okay. Well, they do. But if it's a COVID case, we wouldn't go in to help the family, of course. We're not I going see. to risk ourselves. I see, I um, see. But if it, and also in a, a COVID case has to go to the coroner because they have to be, um, causes have to be declared and mm-hmm. a doctor. So anyone who dies suddenly at home is a is a coroner case automatically so we're on, we can only offer this to people who know they're dying of natural causes anyway I see, they're I under see. a doctor's care but mm-hmm. there's hundreds of those and they're the, that's those are the sad cases that those people who would normally have a just a direct cremation are now stored and stacked along with all the covid bodies i see i um, see it's just so it's so much it's overwhelming the system and they're they're getting you know they're part of the system now that it's so backed up i see so if they die of natural causes and they're under a doctor's care and as much as far as anyone knows they're not a covid patient you can do um your kind of home funeral yes Mm -hmm. exactly Hello, everyone. I am so excited to announce that my book is finally available for purchase on Amazon and my website, ZestfulAging.com. It's called Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer. And it's written for people interested in starting a podcast or for those already podcasting who want to stand out from the 2 million podcasts that are already out there. So please pass this along to anyone you know who could benefit from my 30 years experience as a psychotherapist and over 250 podcast interviews. Thanks so much. Do you feel as though this might be an opportunity for you to educate people on what the alternatives are to the typical funeral? I hope so. I I would love that to happen. I'm not sure where to go. I'm not a marketer. I've done everything word of mouth for the last 15 years. So um, it would be a wonderful, because people just do not know this is possible and available. Every time I talk about it, they go, really? That's legal? I can keep Mm -hmm. a dead body at home? And I'm like, Mm -hmm. yes. And it's beautiful. And let us support and help you do this. Uh, It's amazing. People do not know their rights because we've we've turned away from death for so long and and given it to the funeral industry to manage. Um, Mm -hmm. And And it it behooves them to keep that power because it's... uh, profit generating it's very big business and when somebody doesn't know what their rights are or what their choices are they're much more um much more uh, liable to say yes oh yes okay i'll do that oh oh, yes Mm -hmm. okay they say yes and 
they're upset they're distraught that's right it's a, what a what a vulnerable time yes. for people to be making decisions especially now you know mm-hmm. they, 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 their loved one is dying and we want to be able to tell them you know don't just call a, a regular funeral home because even the funeral mm-hmm. home will have to say call the coroner and then they'll believe mm-hmm. that's what they have to do Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I should. And you, I know you come from England. How different is the philosophy abroad, um, outside of the U.S.? Is it different in terms of how uh, families think about death? Um, I thought so when when I was in England. With I, I think they're much more open and, and at ease with it are the words I'd probably use they're much more willing to say oh that's a good idea yeah let, that's, that makes sense let's do that whereas there, there's a there's a, a film of sort of vague fear here of like oh I don't think that's legal I'm going to get sued or mm. that's where it's coming from here the, that um, the liability issue is very is pervasive in America. Everybody mm-hmm. thinks of that first before they follow their heart or their intuition. They cover their bases and make sure that they're not doing anything wrong. And of course, there are multitudes of laws and regulations put in place so that we're sort of we're trapped in a way in this. Um, in America, I've noticed much more so than Europe. Mm-hmm. Then the rules and regulations are they're there in place, but they're they're built on common sense rather than fear of liability. Does that make sense? I see. Yes. That, that's been said many times about the U.S. culture. Do you want to uh, tell our listeners about any particular home funeral that was memorable for you? Especially memorable. It sounds like they're all very um, moving and, and, and touching, but is there any, any of them that stand out for you? Um, uh, well, I think perhaps the most memorable was um, a dear couple of friends of mine who um, had done my training, the Art of Death Midwifery training, and they were creating a hospice one of the, the first hospice really in Los Angeles because we don't have brick and mortar places and um, I was on the board and um, a wonderful gay couple and they I married them and then on the property and then six weeks later Gabe one of them had a massive heart attack and died he was like 52 and it was so shocking and so sudden and such a disruption to this huge community that had built around creating this wonderful service for LA and the hospice and like why him and Mm -hmm. so you're dealing with the tsunami of the shock of the a, a massive heart attack a huge community of people, 200 at least, who were part of all of this. The fact that they were just married, so there was all of this love and joy all mixed oh and entangled up in there. Mm-hmm. And, and now, of course, we had to do a home funeral because that's what this hospice was all about. People were going to die in the hospice and they were going to stay there after death for three days so that people could experience this three-day wake and vigil. Um, so it was 
it was astoundingly, and it was big for me because he was very dear to me. I, we, I went over there every day. We were having dinner every day to create this place. So, oh my goodness! I think it affected me profoundly, and it was an autopsy case. So, because they wanted to figure out why he died so suddenly. So, it was the autopsy. It was the autopsy repair. It was getting him home, doing the beautiful bathing ritual with his husband Mitch, laying him in the room that was going to be a hospice room in this place and then inviting all the people who had six weeks earlier come to their wedding. Oh, my um, goodness. But it it was so deep, so rich, so complicated, so... But then so necessary. The whole community needed to exhale from all of their feelings individually and the shock that was going on for every one of them, the disappointment, the loss of dreams and and tomorrows and love that this couple had shared. So as everybody filed in to be with Gabe and to say what they needed to say, they all said how they couldn't have imagined moving forward in any way without this having touched him. It's like, okay, he was alive six weeks ago. We had such a good time, and now he's mm. laying here dead. I can see that. My brain is is managing to um, absorb and, and um, assimilate what That's just happened. Metabolize. Yes. yes. And now we're going to go outside, and we're going to have this fabulous celebration. Mm. So we carried his body out to the exact spot that they were married, outside oh, on the property, gosh. and had this incredible ceremony. It was... And I do have the little video of that on my website. I I did take a look at that. Mm. It's yeah. It's, it shows the different elements decorating the cremation box and um, going to visit the deceased when they're laying on their on a bed, as I call it. Um, mm-hmm. So, and part of your work is helping others learn about how to do this. Can you tell me a little bit about, you have some classes, you have some training in death midwifery. Can you talk a little bit about what you offer um, in addition to doing the, um, the death care practices? Yes, so um, about... Hmm. 10 years ago, I started to get quite busy as a, I called myself in the beginning, a home funeral guide, because I was just helping people after the last breath to prepare their loved one's body and keep it at home for three days. So I was a home funeral guide. But then that developed, I had to start teaching people how to make a plan for this. And that led to teaching people about conscious dying, you know, you need to get prepared, you're dying now, what what you have to put in place so that your wishes can be um, can be honoured. And if you would like to lay in rest for three days at home and have a wake and a funeral, we got to write that down. So mm. that's when I started teaching conscious dying. And um, that has actually become, interestingly, the death doula movement, which is about helping somebody who's helping the death journeyer um, become prepared and relaxed and move into their dying process and um, about mm, I guess about three or four years ago it sort of took off the death death doula which is the support person for the dying but I I maintained the word death midwife 
because most, <clears throat> I find a big piece of my work is the after-death care piece. So the midwife in my, in my terminology is the one who takes the dying person from their terminal diagnosis right through the death journey, putting everything in place, creating their mm -hmm. legacy, making their wishes mm -hmm. known, then supporting the family in the after-death care piece. And then it's a funeral celebrant training too, because then you, you become the celebrant <clears throat> um, creating the funeral service and officiating that at the end. So I, 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 I remain as a death midwife and I teach the art of death midwifery, which is how to do the, 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 the entire piece. Mm. Uh, and then my students will say, oh, I, I like the death doula piece. I like that sitting bedside with the dying. <clears throat> and someone else might say, oh, I like the home funeral guide piece, you know, helping people prepare the body, dress the body, decorate the casket. And someone else might say, I, I, I like the celebrant piece. So even though they're, they, they are certified as a death midwife because they've learned all of the aspects of it, they may choose... A, a particular aspect of it to focus on. I um, see. Because it's a big bite. I've, I've taken all of it on, but it is a big bite. And mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's been a lot. But And um, people can do this uh, remotely? Yes, I've put the training online now. It's called The Art of Death Midwifery. It's okay. a three-part training. The first level is enter the grave. And that's a deep personal dive into their own fears and beliefs and misconceptions about what death is. Um, and I call it the, the training for the spiritual end-of-life counselor. Because when, once one has really investigated their own, their own um, beliefs and theories about death and where their own fears lie and been able to unpack that so that they're more prepared to go, then they can support another. And a lot of people, they, they can do it an online training about the how-to part, but when they haven't really unraveled their own, can, they can be triggered at the bedside. And mm -hmm. then you're, you can't be, of, can't be of such a, it can't be very helpful when you're triggered and in your own process. That so, makes a lot of sense. As a therapist, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. Yeah. So Enter the Grave is that personal one. That's all online now. And then the next class is Conscious Dying, which is the nuts and bolts for what you need to put in place. I'm um, creating a legacy project, how to be with the dying person, how to support the family. And then level three is After the Last Breath, which is... Um, everything one needs to know about preparing a dead body, the preservation, the funeral industry, cremations and burials will come in after the last breath. And wow, each, it's very comprehensive. It's very comprehensive. Yeah. And I, it's hard to pack all that information into a weekend workshop. They used to be in person, of course, here in Los Angeles. And I put them online. And interestingly enough, they still work fabulously. And I do keep it as three long days on Zoom and nobody complains. There's because mm -hmm. there, it's so much information. The groups stay at 20, so it's very intimate. We have lots of time to share and do breakouts. Um, and I can give all the information with that. With, we, I share a lot of films and slides. Um, it's very engaging. And as long as someone has the ability to set aside those three days, um, and they've, they've been doing so because the class is always full. So I think mm. there's a big need for an, a, a yearning in people to understand this and, mm. 
and Indeed. And I would say more and more as death is all around us, um, really in our faces now, we can't, you know, we, I think people try to avoid it, um, but we can no longer avoid it. No, it's true. Avoid thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that sounds so incredible and I can imagine someone going through that would be it would be really transformative for them even if they decided not to do it uh, professionally just in terms of preparing themselves for their own end of life and their loved ones uh, ends of life yeah yeah Mm -hmm. people come for all reasons many are just helping you know a spouse who's got a a terminal diagnosis and um, other people want to learn how to be a death doula or a death midwife and and you know have a a career at it usually these Mm -hmm. are people who are like looking at changing their career and other Mm -hmm. people are coming in now because they're they're in their own death journey and they they don't they want to be bold and step into it and embrace it and receive it. Uh, so I'm very inspired by these this group of people who are now um, stepping forward and saying, "It's going to happen to me. I'm tired of running away and grasp mm-hmm. grasping at the next you know treatment possibility. I, I want to stop that." relax, bring in my oars and say, take me home. How do I do that? So, um, wow, thank you for bringing that into the group now. Um, so, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty amazing. Uh, it sounds amazing. How can people find out more about your classes and just what you do and what the alternatives are to traditional funerals and burial? Because I think many of us have a sense that there must be, we're hearing about green burial, maybe overseas, we're not quite sure. But I think that you uh, really offer some basic education, so we have some choices. How can people find out more? What do you have? I'm sure you have a website and other points of contact. Thank you. Yes, Sacred Crossings. That's okay. Crossings is plural. dot com, mm-hmm. um, and that if you go there, you can either go directly to the funeral home services, which is based in Los Angeles, or the education, and the education will take you to the Institute site, which outlines the classes under the Art of Death Midwifery. I do do other two-hour webinars on um, putting your things in order, preparing for the big departure, I call it, completing your advanced directives. Mm -hmm. And there's one called Your Final Footprint, which is all about... um, green burials and cremations and um, alternative cremations so and there's some reading material there i am starting a blog so um and that will be um off of the sacredcrossings.com they can find your blog Yes, yeah. And what about social, Olivia? Are you also active on social media? Yes, I am. Thank you. uh, Sacred Crossings is, uh, we have a Facebook page, Sacred Mm -hmm. Crossings, and also on Instagram. Okay, okay. You're doing such an important service, um, and I'm sure... You know that at some level. I mean, you you know you experience 
how important this is for people, but it sounds like just in general, educating people that there are choices and it doesn't have to be taken away from you and industrialized. Um, it could actually be something that is, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Really a deeply moving uh, experience for mm. you that you don't want to miss. You don't want to miss out on this. This is a beautiful part of being a human. Yeah, I know. And I have so many people say, oh, I just wish I'd had a little more time. Or I don't know, there's something so off about her death. I feel so unresolved about it. Or mm. there's all people, everybody you talk to has a death that they they knew that it wasn't quite right. They didn't know I how to see. fix it. And everybody. It like reminds it. me of uh, back in history when women were put out to have their babies, right? And then they woke up out of anesthesia and here's your little baby. <laughs> they didn't go through any of the process. They missed the process. That's it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they miss their dying. And let's face it, if it's going to be the last experience of mm -hmm. an earthly journey, why wouldn't you want to experience it? And wow. Death is not painful. Treatment is painful. The results of treatment is painful. Mm -hmm. um, but de natural death, as um, when somebody becomes very dehydrated and they very slowly um, withdraw from the world, doesn't have to be painful. It reminds me of what Catherine Mannix talks about, um, you know, how she takes people through what death is really like um, in, the, in the UK. And she's made some YouTubes and, and videos about, look, you know, if you're afraid of death, let me tell you what it's really like. Mm -hmm. And she, yeah, yeah. Well, I so appreciate you educating us and opening our eyes to what's possible and enriching our own lives with this. And I just I so appreciate what you're doing. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Any opportunity to let people know that they have an option mm -hmm. and that this is a journey. And by leaning into the whole subject of death and dying, um, it enhances your life. It, it's mm -hmm. not a depressing subject when you touch into it. It's the opposite. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't yeah, encourage people it. more to, to take it on as a spiritual practice. Absolutely. Sacredcrossings.com. Thank you so much, Olivia Barham. Uh, and um, I think we'll be in touch for some more uh, from you as things hopefully settle down in Los Angeles and I wish you the best and I'm sure what's a very busy time. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Nicole. God bless you and your listeners and um, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. 
if you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, We give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. 